You also speak about the Lord's Prayer, which reminds me of a Jesuit I know who at a board meeting was asked to say a prayer and he said, well, I'll I'll say they are Father and the chair of the board says, oh, could you not do better than that? (laughs) I wish I'd heard that story. It might have got into the book. (laughs) I I like that. Um, That's the problem with the Lord's Prayer. It's so familiar that uh, sometimes we just rattle it off and we're not exactly sure what we're saying. When we say the Lord's Prayer, we are on very holy ground, not only because the Lord taught it to us, but also that what we're saying is really profound. One of the things I say in the book is that we have a few versions of the Lord's Prayer. We have three, Matthew, Luke and Mark, and they are significantly different. And uh, now we've gone from Matthew in um, Matthew's is the longest. Well, it didn't the longest. Luke's a bit longer. But Matthew is the one that we use now, the liturgical tradition. And the version we use, interestingly, in the Catholic Church has got to do with the Church of England. Thomas Cranmer was a very complex man, and I'm not going to canonize him, but he was an extraordinary gift in language. And he gave us the version, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thee thy name. And that's pretty well stayed current. So that's come into our liturgy in English-speaking languages and through the Church of England. But there are some problems with it, but we'll come back to those in a minute. One of the things I say about it is that the version that we use actually is 58 words, 58 of the most powerful words in the world. And I point out in the book that um, brevity is something I think, including me in the series of, uh, of interviews, uh, that we could well emulate the Lord. He says, don't babble like the pagans do. I think in the Catholic Church, sometimes we do an awful lot of babbling. And we think if we throw more words at God, somehow God will hear us. I think God must sit there and say, can we stop having the performance and have an encounter? I don't need the show because I know what's going on in your heart and your head. So let's not have a show. Let's have an encounter of love. Whatever of that. Personally, I find the new Missal so flowery in its language and so over the top when Jesus spoke so simply. And these uh, 58 words are so simple and so elegant. I give an example of how important brevity is that uh, we know about the Gettysburg Address, which isn't just about the United States of America. It is powerfully that. But of course, it's the first statement of a universal declaration of human rights, one of the first modern statements anyway. And this incredible moment, we know the person who spoke before Abraham Lincoln that day at Gettysburg spoke for an hour and 10 minutes. We know this person who spoke after spoke for an hour and 25 and actually named them in the book. I did a bit of research on this. The Gettysburg Address is 272 words. He spoke for two and a half half minutes. minutes, And honestly, he changed the world. Now, for every preacher and teacher who are listening right now, me included, brevity, the Lord spoke briefly. He spoke powerfully with passion and he connected the gospel or his message to the real life of the people in front of him. Pope Francis has said just recently to priests, don't preach for too long. He said eight minutes is maximum. And I think he's on the money. And I think eight minutes is an interesting idea because one of the reasons we might have to speak for eight minutes is it's the time between ad breaks on television. So eight to 10 minutes is roughly, then they give you a bit of a break. And that's true on radio too. They'd go to a station identification or something like that to keep the listener energised. And Now, you can resent that all you like, but you get up and preach for 20 or 25 minutes, people stop listening. You are not preaching to, well, unless it's a very unusual homily on for a very unusual congregation, most people have given up. 
And once you start using language, like the new missile uses, that most people haven't got a clue what it all means. Well, that's not helping direct and easy communication. The reason I say all of this is because the Lord's Prayer is so immediate. But what we're saying is immensely powerful. So I go through each of the phrases and talk about why calling God our Father. As much I'm happy to call God our Mother if people would like, but Jesus called him our Father, but it's our Abba. And I had the experience of just the other day, I was in New York, And I was waiting for a plane and there was a Jewish family, clearly Jewish. And the little boy kept calling his father Abba, Abba. And I I have had not enough to do with the Jewish community that that was the first encounter I'd ever had of that. Now, that's the word Jesus used. It's Abba, it's Daddy, it's Papa. And that was such an intimate thing to do. So we say our father. And if you called your mother or father father, it's terribly formal. That doesn't indicate at all the intimacy Uh, the level of love that Jesus is indicating. It's Papa who is in heaven. And heaven was a much more immediate concept in the Hebrew scriptures. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed meaning to holy is your name. And what does that mean? So I unpack each of them, but a couple of them are immensely powerful. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I like your story at the beginning about the, you know, could, could you not do better than that? Boy, we should think about that phrase. We're saying, forgive us to the degree we will forgive others. Not one bit more, not one bit less. Oh my God, that's a tough, that's a really big thing to say. Because, you know, we've talked about forgiveness, but and it is so important, but we've got to maintain as best we can that our forgiveness of one another is exactly what we're asking for God to do to us. The phrase, which of course is the most complex, Um, Well, the other one I like is give us this day our daily bread. And I tell the story and I've told in a couple of my books about being on pilgrimage where I had to walk and beg for my food and accommodation every day and for 10 days. And I, I said that on that road, I prayed the Lord's Prayer in a way that I had never prayed it before. When you wake up in the morning hungry and you don't know where you are going to get food, give us this day our daily bread is not some sort of metaphor for the Eucharist, which sometimes people have made it and certainly works perfectly. Not only is it about it changes when you're hungry and you don't know where you're going to get fed, it's actually a call to how we're feeding the poor. So give us this day our daily bread. Is If we're getting fed, how are we helping other people get fed in the world? So it's got a social implication in this that is so important. But the one that, of course, has been the most controversial has been lead us not into temptation. Mm-hmm. Do not um, put us to the test. Yes. The diff- there was a strong movement in the revision of the liturgy of the new missal to change that. And the English language bishops' conferences, Ireland, America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, they all chose not to change it. And I think it was a mistake because it is, in fact, a bad translation of the Greek. As good as Cranmer may have been, lead us not into temptation presumes that God could lead us into temptation. Well, we don't believe God can lead us to destruction. God can't lead us to sin. We choose to sin. We choose, like in the old language and the Genesis story, we rebel against God and go to our own destructiveness. So asking God to lead us not into temptation, presume God does and God can. So this has become very controversial. And in fact, the translation which uh, is uh, more common these days, or at least scholars think we should have is, do not let us fall into temptation. And I wish we would say that. Do not let us, because it's us 
falling into temptation, us giving into that temptation, because that's exactly what Jesus is attending to. You've got to see what he says before and after in Matthew's gospel to really see why that is the way it is. Do not let us fall into temptation would be the much better rendering of that. I have friends of mine who are lifelong Catholics and some have really struggled with that phrase because it's amazing. Words matter. Translation matters. God doesn't lead us into temptation. God helps us to have the inner reserve, the best virtue in our life, that we can choose what's most life-giving all the time. And then I don't do for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, only because they're a little doxology, they're a little prayer that got added on. And indeed, sometimes people say, oh, do you say the Protestant version or the Catholic version? Well, it is true that our Protestant brothers and sisters add in the doxology because it was liturgical. And it's an, an ancient piece of the liturgy, actually, where it was followed. And we do say it, but we have what's called the deliverance prayer in between mm. the doxology. There isn't a Catholic and a Protestant version of the Lord's Prayer itself. There are different translations, and we should have the best one. But I think we should think about every single phrase very, very carefully. And when we start any and every meeting, you could not do better than start it with the Lord's Prayer. But it's one thing to say it. Boy, if we know what we're praying, it's quite another to be living it. And that's the challenge.